A little more than 100 years ago, a large percentage of Americans were in agriculture. They were farmers. In fact, some estimates say from anywhere from 70 to 90% of Americans were working in agriculture. And even just three generations ago, I know my dad's family was doing agriculture west of Orland. We mostly lived off the land. Yeah, life was hard, but it was simpler. There was trading of goods with neighbors for things that that we needed. And most of the things that were owned fell into the category of needs, not wants. Today, less than 2% of Americans are involved in agriculture. And while I would probably encourage all of you to think about farming, most of you are probably not going to become farmers. In the last century, certainly things have shifted with urbanization and industrialization in, in our country. Certainly two world wars brought many to work in factories. And then after the wars, The power brokers of the day said, well, we've got to make something. And so they turned those tank factories and plane factories and ammunition factories into places that sell, buy t-shirts and create other things. And the bankers of the day said, we've got to change the culture. One Wall Street banker allegedly, and I say allegedly because everything on the internet is somehow in question, allegedly said this. Paul Mazur of Lehman Brothers. We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. It was E.S. Kaldrick, who's uh, the pioneer of industrial relations. He called this shift Uh, Quote, the new economic gospel of consumption. Note the word gospel in that little phrase. And the plan, by and large, worked. By 1927, one journalist remarked this about our country. A change has come over our democracy. It is called consumptionism. The American citizen's first importance to his country is now no longer that of a citizen, but that of a consumer. And of course, the ever-wise Mark Twain quipping, civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Things that you didn't know you needed, now you feel like you need. Something that's going to save you time and effort and make your life better. So today, more than any time in history, I would argue, our consumer economy is now built around people spending money that they don't have on things they don't need to impress people they don't like. And I think I can relate to that sometimes. And whether it's the 4,000 plus, as they say, advertising messages that we're exposed to every day, or our desire to be comfortable, well-liked, and accepted, the temptation is to get lost in this consumerism. It is at an all-time high. 
Do you feel this pull on your life? It feels like the undertow that I've been stuck in in the Pacific Ocean where you just feel like you're getting pulled back and no matter how hard you swim, you keep moving backwards. What does Jesus have to say about all of this? I'm really glad you asked. Because we're continuing this series, we're almost finished with this rhythm series. And I have to say that this has been one of the most pivotal teaching series that I've ever done And good news for you, if you're new, next week we're going to do an entire recap of the whole series, so you don't want to miss next week, either here or on the stream. But this morning, we're going to look at a different rhythm. We're going to look at the rhythm I've actually thought about the most since November. The thing that's been haunting me on every day off. The thing that's been been plaguing me and poking me and, and sneering at me saying, you need to get this figured out, Andrew. It's the rhythm of simplicity. And Richard Foster, who is just brilliant back in the day, called this a discipline of simplicity. So while I'm calling it a rhythm, if Foster calls it a discipline, we can also call it a discipline for sure. So we're going to ponder, what might it look like to unhook from the tethers of the love of money and possessions so that we can experience life to the fullest? And so we're going to talk about inner simplicity, we're going to talk about outer simplicity, and then we're going to share a few practical ideas too, and I've got two lovely women to help me do that. So let's dive right in. Okay, about 400 years before Jesus, the author of Western philosophy, Socrates, or if you watched Bill and Ted's adventure, Socrates, said this, the secret of happiness you see is not found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. As the church is getting its start about 100 years after Jesus died as a bookend, Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius said this, very little is needed to make a happy life. It is all within yourself and your way of thinking. And even as an emperor, he was known for his simplicity, which is so strange to me. What does Jesus have to say about all of this? Just gonna rapid fire you on a few verses here. Luke 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There are so many people who think that my stuff defines who I am. The kind of stuff I have defines the kind of person I am. The brand of clothes, the kind of phone, the kind of car, size of the house, the things I'm able to do, the places I'm able to go, those all define who I am. And yet Jesus says, nope, that's not where your life comes from. Luke 12, verse 33. This is not the only time he says this. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. That verse bother anybody? Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. It is... Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Jesus ties our sense of worry and anxiety to our relationship with money and possessions. 
This next verse, Mark 4, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. There is an inherent danger in money and possessions. Matthew 19, verse 24. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Is he saying that money is evil? No. But he's saying, if you're trusted by God with a whole bunch of it, you're going to have to work extra hard to make sure it doesn't become God. You're like, wait a second. Jesus' words are also negative on this. I thought money makes my life easier. If Jesus' teachings about money and possessions confuse you, you're not alone. So Jesus' view on the role of wealth in our life, money and stuff, it's about making sure that money and stuff don't take on a larger role than running after the kingdom first. So he's warning us that getting more stuff doesn't make you more fulfilled. It is not going to help fill the hole in your heart, and so many of us try to do that. If I just had this thing, then I'm really going to be happy. If I just had that thing, boy, that's going to make my relationships all better. Proverbs says, the eye never tires of seeing. In other words, you're never going to be satisfied. I love my new golf clubs, but boy, I think there's a new set coming out this year. And I'm going to be a lot better, right? If I get those. Mark says, no. No, no, I'm not going to be better. I'm just going to be me. So the French, I, I, I read a quote from a French sociologist named Jean Baudrillard. And he makes this point that the, in the Western world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. He says this, we live in a world where there is more and more information and less and less meaning. So he's arguing this in the more extended quote, that atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity. Shopping has. Oh. And he's saying that we get our meaning in life from what we consume. Gosh, I hope I've got more meaning in my life than the stuff that I consume. But for a lot of people, these things are their identities. They're finding their identities in them. There's a reason why Jesus only pointed out one God that's a rival God that we ought to look for. One. Who is that God? Well, it's called Mammon. Because it's a horrible God and a lousy, unfulfilling religion. No one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Mammon. And oftentimes we translate that money, but it's the love of money and stuff. It's going after this thing that takes over that first place in our life. So maybe you're convinced that you need to be careful. Yep, you're right, Andrew. I need to be careful about money. I need to be careful about making sure that I don't run after stuff. Good job, pastor. Let's go eat lunch. But I think that there is another level of resisting and pushing back on the culture of desire, if I can use those words. It's going to take a little bit more discipline, as Foster would say. It's going, to ha- it's going to take a more healthy rhythm of simplicity. 
So how simplified and disciplined are we going to have to be? Let's look what the Bible says. Let's take Paul, 1 Timothy 6, 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Wow, that's a short list. Uh, Maybe we could add shelter to that list. I think that's fair. Now, while I'm not asking you to forego all of the niceties of our era, every pleasure of our time, the point is this. The list of actual needs versus wants is actually really short. Meaning we stress, worry, and get anxious about a lot of wants, not needs. Let's look at one passage where Jesus teaches these things. And there's three takeaways um, in this passage for us. So if you want to turn to Matthew 6, or also have, I'll also have the words on the screen here. Uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. of the Sermon on the Mount is about money and possessions. If a quarter of the sermon is on that, I'm guessing we probably ought to take note of it and really consider it. So uh, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves Thieves, that's hard to say, do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These might be familiar verses to you. What is Jesus saying? Quite simply, don't spend all your money and time on things that will wear out, go out of style, and be stolen out of the back of your truck because you didn't park it under the streetlight. Instead, put your life into things that matter. Relationships with others, relationship to God, and life in his kingdom. And this is important because wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart goes. So this is the steering wheel to the engine of desire, if you will. So there are some external things that we can do to improve our internal life. While we'll also focus on the internal life coming out and being reflected in the externals. So we start off talking about money and stuff, and then Jesus seems to switch gears in this next verse, verse 22, when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus, what are you doing? Optometry? Are we doing, are we, is that where we're going? What's going on? Did Jesus just change the subject? No. This is actually a first century idiom. I didn't know this before this week, by the way. This is new material for me. If you had a healthy eye, a good eye, it had two meanings, and there are actually two keys for us. The first one is that you are focused on living with a high degree of intentionality in your life. You were living very intentionally. And the second was that you were generous to the poor, that you saw with your eyes the needs and you, you gave, you were generous. Now, a bad eye or an unhealthy eye, the King James calls it the evil eye, Ooh. was the opposite, right? 
You were unfocused and distracted by the glitter and, and all of the things of this world, and you lost your focus on what really matters. And two, you had a closed fist to the poor. One example of someone from history who had a really healthy, good eye is a famous artist named Leonardo da Vinci. Reading about him this week, a a quote that he had was, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And certainly he's an artist, and so he's referring to art. But his contemporaries spoke of him and said his kindness was unmatched, that he was so generous that he fed all of his friends rich and poor. He understood that he would see a need and give. He was intentional with his life, and he created beautiful things. So this is the good eye and the bad eye, and and how we are to live, two keys. And then Jesus breaks down the choice that we have. Simply this, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money. Notice Jesus does not say you should not. He says you cannot. It is a fact that he's making, plain and simple. There is no debate about this. There is no gray area. You can't live in the freedom of the life and the way of Jesus and get sucked into the overconsumption that is normal in our society. You've got to push back. You've got to choose. So in this next verse, Jesus then ties the decision to the presence of worry in our life when it starts, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And he continues to go on in detail. So if you want to live In an anxious, worried, fearful, striving state, keep living in the culture of desire and consumption. But as for me and my house, we're going to try to do everything we can to push back on that and swim against the flow. Third key is in the end of the passage in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Pursue Jesus and the things of God Before and more. Pursue Jesus and the things of God before and more, all other things. And then the God who loves you will take care of all the rest. So the three takeaways so far, those of you who didn't catch them, living intentionally. You have a good eye, you're living intentionally, you're working toward that. Two, you're giving generously. You see needs and It is so fun to give. It is more blessed to give than receive, Jesus says. He's totally right. He wasn't kidding. Number three, pursuing Jesus and his kingdom first. So pretty tangible. Let's talk about inner simplicity here for a minute or two. Richard Foster in the Celebration of Discipline book says this, simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle. To attempt to arrange an outward lifestyle of simplicity without the inward reality leads to deadly legalism. He's saying, look out here. If you just decide this is about trying to arrange stuff in your house, you got it all wrong. It's got to start on the inside. There's got to be some transformation. This is about seeking God first. It's about seeking his kingdom first. Foster goes on to say this. The central part for the discipline of simplicity 
essential point, excuse me, is to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of his kingdom first, and then everything necessary will come into its proper order. So inner simplicity results in increasing freedom from anxiety. Inner simplicity results in increasing freedom from anxiety. It's all about a spirit of trusting God. Well, why don't you just say that at the beginning, Andrew? Because you wouldn't have tied it specifically to these things. And Jesus knew that. That's why he preached so much about it. So, three inner attitudes that I, that I thought about here. For, and they, they fit with the keys so far. First of all, understanding what we receive is a gift from God. He is the giver of all good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Two different verses. Talking about God being the giver. Second, what we receive is to be cared for by God. We trust him. That if he gave it to us, he can also care for it. And third, what we receive then is also not just ours to hoard, but ours to share. So these attitudes are simple, but they are game changers. What would the opposite of this heart attitude look like, I wonder? Well, let me just show you. I am the one who made this happen. Thank you very much on my hard work and my ingenuity and so good, right? Two, I have to protect what I have from others going to get ripped off and stolen and destroyed. And no, you can't use that. I can't, third one, I can't loan out my stuff. I may need it. And we live in fear that our stuff's going to get messed up or, oh no, if I lose this, I'll never be able to afford to replace it. I, 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 I is the key word in all those statements, Right? Now, I know it's just me who's working on these things, and y'all have it all figured out, so please help me. But as I've looked at this through the last few months, I am increasingly convicted. And mind you, I don't live a crazy lifestyle doing lavish things. Although, I think, by the way, it's beautiful to do lavish things. And when you have the money and the time and the means, by all means, enjoy beautiful things. Enjoy good things. God wants us to do that. But as I've looked at this more and more, I've realized that I live oftentimes in fear instead of trust. If I give this away, then maybe I'm going to need it. So then I'm just going to hold it. And then I've got a whole closet full of stuff that's just, just in case, just in case, just in case. And that closet becomes a storage unit. By the way, we have like so many square feet of storage units in America that we could actually house everybody who's homeless in the entire world, like in our storage spaces. Now, they wouldn't want to live in them because that would be really horrible. But still, when I look at my life, I realize this is an issue. I'm not blowing past this like, well, these people at the church really need to find it because I got this dialed. Nope. Nope. So to say that simplicity is only an inner reality is not enough. It's also got to be an outward exp- expression. So, outward simplicity. We're going to give you a few ideas. Now, the risk here is you're like, oh yeah, those people at the church told me I got to do this. Nope. We want to help you see a way. Adults, most of the time, don't find their way until they see a way. 
So I want to spin out a couple of ideas for you on how you might be able to live this out. Because I do believe that as you begin to let go of stuff in the, in the outward, it will begin to build trust on the inward, as well as that inward then gets shown on the outside. I know that I've got a trust problem because I've got like 28 t-shirts in my armoire. Guys, I'm here to tell you, like I went through, as I prepared for this message, I went in and took a bag and I said, I'm filling up this bag. And I'm pulling these things out. I'm like, but this is my run for food from 2010. I remember this. This is a beautiful moment. I can't let go of this. If I let go of this, my memory will fade. That's why we take pictures, people. Not because you need t-shirts. I just want you to know that you are in good company on this topic with me. John Mark Comer says this, the goal of simplicity isn't just to declutter your closet or garage, but to declutter your life, to clear away the myriad of distractions that ratchet up anxiety, feed us an endless stream of mind-numbing drivel, and anesthetize us to what really matters. And I believe, as my voice cracks again, I know, it's puberty the sequel. Totally good with it. Totally aware. Is he aware that that's happening? What's wrong with him? I believe that the deeper you grow in trusting God, the more you can live simply. The deeper you grow in trusting God, the more you can live simply. The real work is done in your heart, not in your closet. Having said that, I do think a way, having a few ways to behave our way into things would be helpful. So my friend, Amy Wadlow, is going to come. I'm asking her to help in this way because she does this so much better than I do. I would be a massive hypocrite and I would have to take out the forest in my eye so that I could talk about your speck in your eye. But uh, welcome to the stage. For those of you who have been saying, when is Amy going to preach? This is kind of that moment. This is my moment. This, this is, is about how long moment. I would preach. You're like, welcome. Give me three minutes. Um, so Amy, met, Amy and I chatted about this this week and made a little list of things. So we'll put it on the screen here. And um, tell us a few things about these ideas that, that work in your house. Because I've been to your house and you have a, you, you've got it going on. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of the things that kicked me off on this is a few, few years ago, I went to my brother's house. And um, if, well, you probably don't know. My brother lives in Alabama, but during the summers, he runs a camp here in California. And I went to his California camp and house, and I was like, man, I can relax here. This is beautiful. And I looked around and went, oh, that's because there's white space on the walls. There's not junk everywhere. Um, there's not a ton of clutter. And so I committed that when we were in the process of remodeling, like when we move back into our house, I'm not just going to pull out our old junk because I love the simplicity of this place and that I can truly relax here. So I've been on a mission to declutter my house and um, certainly it's not perfect. I don't do this perfectly. I also have three other people who live with me who like stuff too. So that works against me a little bit. But one of the things that I'm committing to is not holding on to things for too long. And you mentioned your run for food thing and take a picture. And even like Canaan's kindergarten pictures or from the Red Raccoons, 
um, I take a picture of that stuff and I don't keep that artwork forever because I realized all this stuff in my house, I just am moving around. I'm not organizing my life. I'm organizing my clutter and my stuff. And that is certainly not how I want to spend my time. So I am constantly purging and trying not to hold on to things for too long. You also limit what comes into your home. Talk I about do. that. So thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when Canaan is like as we approach his birthday or Christmas, I'm like, okay, you are going to be receiving stuff. So it's time to plan and make room and give stuff away. So before we even get to all the new stuff that comes in, he's walking with me as we're giving stuff away. And um, one of the other things is on my way back from the mailbox, whether I'm walking or driving, I sort my junk mail and that junk mail doesn't even come into my house. That goes into recycling before I even walk in the door and then I have less stuff. One of the other things is I did a really hard purge a few years ago. I read that silly book, Marie Kondo's. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. There's some good good pieces of truth. There's also kind of fruity stuff. So you'll have to throw, throw some of that, the bones out, but take the meat. But one of the things that um, she was talking about is things that spark joy. And I know that our, our joy doesn't come from stuff. However, an unhealthy attachment of stuff, we're looking to things to give us happiness or joy. And I realized that a lot of the things that I have in my house, I would look at and go, that's a project that's half done. I need to finish that. That's, um, I, sh- I really should do something with that. Oh, I have that thing that I bought that I really don't like, but I spent money on it. And so I need to keep it. And I just was like, I'm done. I'm done. If I don't love it or need it, if it's not necessary, it's out of here. And things like, I don't need a bunt pan. I nope. maybe use, make a cake in a bunt pan once every three years. And I know probably 15 people who I could borrow one from. Yes. So I'm not hanging on to that stuff. It's going out the door. So a, that hard purge really helped me limit what came into, because as you're watching trucks full of stuff, go to Salvation Army. Like for me, I'm like, dang, that's a lot of money I spent to collect that stuff that I never even needed. I wanted, but I didn't need. And now I'm giving it away. That is a waste of money. I don't want to waste my money like that anymore. That's a great opportunity to forgive yourself, by the way, too. To say, you know what? I forgive myself for buying that because it was on sale and it seemed like a really good idea at the time, but well, I missed it. But be kind to yourself. And that's one of the things I've learned in this talking about and thinking about and then trying to live out these rhythms is being kind to myself. Some of you have been incredibly unkind to yourself with your fasting about Lent. You're like, I only made it two weeks and then I started watching TV again. It's okay. Jesus still loves you. We'll keep growing together. Just be kind to yourself. That's right. Also, I try to work, one of the things I did over sabbatical is to find a place for everything in my house so that there's somewhere for it to go back to. I'm more likely to put stuff away if there's an away space. So... That one I'm doing, I'm working with my boys to do, to do the same, but that's a little more complicated. Um, also, borrowing versus buying, like I mentioned, a bunt pan or a ladder. or um, We live in a culture now where we think we need everything because, like you were talking about, I might need this, but I have friends who have stuff. And if I treat it well, then they're more likely to let me borrow it. And I would much rather borrow something and use it for the event that I'm actually doing than to not put it away in a cupboard and have to 
move it out of the way to get to something that I really want. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that over sabbatical, I was doing some, some more reading than I usually do. And I was like, oh, I don't need to buy all these books and then store all these books. There's a place called the library. I can just yeah. go there and borrow their books. It's great. And write down the couple of things that I want to take from In this book. In your notebook, right. Yes, yeah, and yeah. then give the book back. Yeah. And I've saved money and then time later. Yeah, it, as we were talking, it occurred to me that if we want to be neighbors, we got to rely on each other. And borrowing is one of those ways that we used to, right? Hey, I remember my mom sending me next door. Can you go next door and see if we could just buy, borrow a cup of milk or whatever? I just, I ran out and I need something. And then there's a relying and a trusting, and they're never going to borrow anything from you if you don't borrow anything from them, right? So responsible borrowers become willing lenders. Obviously, you need to be responsible, but still, it's good. That's right. Uh, also, buying quantity versus quality. I'm, I can't go into TJ Maxx anymore because I'm like, oh, that's cute. It's on sale. That's cute. It's on sale. Surely I can find a place for this in my house. I'm done. As it turns out, if you don't go shopping, you own less stuff. Ah. I know. It took me a while to get there, mid 40s. Hey, but stop elbowing your spouse, by the way. I see you right now, okay? So, one of my hot tips is when I go to the store for just a few things, I don't get a cart. Because if I have to carry all that stuff, oh, I'm good. just going to get what I came for. Yeah. And I write a list and I mm. just get the stuff on my list. Go hunting and for I the list. don't send Mike because he finds all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's like my mom wants, my, my dad goes to the grocery store, always wonderful things come back. I'm appreciative, but mom isn't right, always. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Sorry, then, dad. And then in my process of purging, I love giving to charity. And when we had the campfire housing here, the Salvation Army was here for 22 days and did all of the meals. And I have such respect for the Salvation Army. So I actually feel good about taking stuff that I like but don't love, giving it to them. They make money selling it, and it furthers their ministry. I'm like, yes. oh, that's a win. Yes. So, that will help you feel less bad about yes, the fact that you spent money on It is furthering that. ministry happening. Yes, exactly. So one of the things is I always, well, not always, I often have a bag by my front door, and I am constantly throwing stuff into it. So shoes that don't fit anymore or stuff in the kitchen that as I pull out, I'm like, I don't need three sets of tongs. One of them can go to the Salvation Army. Um, yeah. And then I will just pop by there every couple of weeks and give them my little grocery bag and feel great about the ministry they're doing. Pray for them as I'm sending my junk away and feel better about not having as much stuff in my house. Yeah, I feel the same about ARC. They sent one of their clients to us in youth ministry years ago and I just went, I want to invest in the, the kind of work that they're doing. So lots of good charities to give to. We certainly, those are two of our favorites. But um, I know that you are an Instagrammer and you subscribe or follow. See, you can tell how Instagram savvy I am, I right? I think I'm following. I'm well, also not super right savvy. Well, you know, whether you follow, <laughs> as it turns out. I do. So there's a couple different people, pages whatever. See, even you don't know. I, know. I feel so much better we about need myself to right get now. Get the junior hires back in here so they can I tell know, us right? about this. Um, influencers. Influencers. They're I follow a couple us. influencers. Yeah. Um, one of them is Cozy Minimalism, and I love just the quick quotes. And um, so 
if you want to get on this train, it's inspiring to, to read that. And then I've, one of the things I'm working at is not having my house always be clean, but easily cleaned. And without having as much stuff, it's a whole lot easier to keep my house tidy. And then if somebody surprises me, I don't feel bad at all. I know there's not Canaan's underwear laying on the floor. Oh, there's that. Yep, yep. You read a book during your sabbatical that you thought was somewhat helpful in this area. I did. The Lazy Genius or something like that? The Lazy Genius Way. Yeah, Yeah, it's this lady who um, talks about not being lazy about the things that don't really matter, like not giving your time to the things that really matter, doing those in a lazy-ish way, so that you can be a genius about the things that do matter. And so there's just some cool systems and things that I learned that I've put into practice. Cool. Right. So thanks, Ames. A couple good resources that I found for simplifying your life. Uh, The Minimalists, these guys have uh, podcast stuff going on. They have some really fun stuff on their website, whether it's like a challenge where you could do it with someone else. And like for 30 days, you give some one thing away. So like the first day you give one thing away. And the second day you give two things away. And the third day you give three things away. And you do that with a friend and, and like talk about what you're doing. So there's some really good ideas on there. A lot of times all you have to do is just put your email address in and they like give you the link to it. And so I found that actually to be quite helpful as well as this guy, Joshua Becker, who wrote a book uh, called Things That Matter. Um, and he's quite famous for this, becomingminimalist.com. So um, let's shift gears real quick as we finish up. Uh, what if you were going to start with your closet? What if you were going to start there? What principles could we suggest about simplifying that? So I'm going to have my lovely wife, Linda, come. She works as a, an image and identity consultant, but I think someone called you an image therapist recently. Um, identity. She has that on the side. Um, so give us a little help here uh, because I went ahead and pre- preemptively filled up a bag. It is by the door, ready to go to Salvation Army yesterday because I decided I needed to practice what I preached for sure the day of. But tell us a little bit about the closet because I know one of the things that you do with people as you've given them consultations on clothing and style and different things is you actually also offer going through their closet with them. So maybe this can help us. Yes, we'll talk about the closet. But first, I want to have your back, Dad. Uh, He was busting you out for going to the grocery store and buying crab. I totally do the same thing, by the way. Yeah, totally relate. And where did I learn that? I only do what I see Mm -hmm. my father doing. Exactly. That's what Jesus said. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Very biblical. Touche. Secondly, yesterday I had a glass jar because I'm trying to move away from plastic because I care about the planet. I care about the earth trying to decrease my carbon footprint. Call me woke. I don't care. Um, But I had put a Prego jar into the um, dishwasher, and I pulled it out and put it on the counter because I thought, well, I'll I'll use that. And he comes over, and he picks it up, and he goes, what's this for? I said, it's a glass jar, and I'm going to put stuff in it. He goes, hmm, okay. And then I opened my thing, and there were like 20. I was like, oh, okay. All right. So... I am going to go home and clean that up. Um, So anyway, when it comes to closets, when it comes to your clothing, um, I love clothes. I love style. I grew up, my mom and I would go shopping and we'd get a new outfit every Easter and Christmas and birthdays and all that kind of thing. And so I was brought brought up with that. Um, But I, I want to 
really affirm you in the fact that we have way too much in our closets. And we have clothes that do not fit. We have clothes that are um, in uh, disrepair. Like, oh, there's a button missing. I'll go back and fix that. Or there's a rip. I'll learn how to sew and sew it up. Right? How many of you are going to really do that? Jane will do it. Jane will do it. So we take everything to Jane. Um, so my recommendations are just keep what fits and what's in good condition. Do not keep the bag of clothes that you think someday I will fit into it. Let it go. It is the reverse psychology. Go. You think if I keep it there, it's going to inspire me to lose the weight, to change this, to do... Mm -mm. Nope. God's calling you to love who we are right now. Not then, not in the future, right now. So get rid of it. Preach. Get rid of it. And if somehow you do make changes that you're really happy with, go out and buy something different, something new with the practical examples that Amy uh, mentioned. Keep only what you love. This morning I was going through my closet and I was like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. So when I go home, I'm going to have to purge. Um, now, this is interesting because try to limit to 40 hangers in your closet. How many of you think you have 40? Oh, for sure. How many of you think you have more than 40? For sure. Okay, you go in and you start counting, you're going to be... So what's that? You're going to be so surprised. So just limit it down, take it down, because when you have less in your closet, then you can see what you have. Like this outfit, it's just a black outfit. I have like four things that I can put over top of it to change the look. I don't need to have 16 of these outfits. Um, buy, like Amy was saying, buy quality, not quantity. Um, that's where your money is going to be well spent, is if you buy a quality constructed garment, I'm not going to call out the box stores, but they're disposable clothing. They're meant to be disposable. So buy something that's quality. And then consider a capsule wardrobe. A capsule wardrobe is one where, like I said, you have one basic outfit and you have different, a different jacket, sweater, scarf, different shoes that you can pair with it so you have a different look. So you have one outfit that's going to work. So that's one way that you can pare down those items in your closet. Great. Thanks, honey. Appreciate it. Oh, you want that. Yep. So let, let me remind you, we're trying to give you ideas, not set up rules. If you go home and you go, I've got 80 hangers, I don't follow Jesus, know that we're not saying that. But it is true, the more things you have, the more you have to steward, the more energy you have doing that, and then you're not putting that into loving people, loving God, and going after his kingdom because you're busy trying to steward your stuff. So... Let's have some good friends who, young, younger couple, have two kids under four. They moved into a finished two-car garage in November because they're getting ready to remodel a mobile home. And in that space, they have two dogs and I think five cats. And the, the, vast, of their, the vast majority of their stuff is in storage. True story. I interviewed them this week. And they've been doing life with their parents and cooking and eating meals together in, inside their parents' home that's connected. And here's what I heard them say. Quote, I cannot believe 
how much happier I am, the flexibility required of me has helped me understand the healthy and unhealthy ways that I cope with the world. So simplicity for them helped them understand how they're coping with things in healthy and unhealthy ways. Another quote, before I moved into the garage, we call it the industrial studio, I thought downsizing into a modular home that we were moving into would be difficult and too small, but now I see that it will be plenty big enough for us. Another quote, we have learned the cost of an item is higher than we realized. You have the initial cost for the purchase, the storage cost, the, maintain, the, the maintenance cost, and then the cost of putting your, pulling your focus away from the most important things. By downsizing and simplifying, it has increased our focus, improved our relational connection, and eliminated clutter. Wow. I thought, you guys are crazy. And now I'm wondering... Are they even going to want to move into the modular home? They will, but they will. Don't worry. But it's the just-in-case stuff, isn't it? I've got a whole garage of just-in-case stuff that I'm pretty sure I'm never going to use. Oh, I think I'm prepared. But really, I have a trust issue with it. Are you a collector or are you a hoarder? Um, simplicity can also be brought to your email inbox. Oh boy, do I need this. I think on sabbatical, I'm going to delete 41,000 emails out of my, literally I have 41,000 emails in my personal email right now. A friend just simplified his cell phone screen, arranged the, the icon. So only the things he wants to spend time on are like visible on the first screen. He's got to go and scroll and find something that would be a distraction to him. I thought that was a good idea. Even the limiting the amount of choices that we have that can all help us to be more present, present to God, present to ourselves, and present to others, loving others better. So as we close, thank you for hanging in with us for a few extra minutes today. Living with intention instead of impulse buying and being caught up in the world's gotta have it mentality. Walking in generosity with others because giving is so much fun and it begins to free you from your hold on money. Seeking first God's kingdom, trusting him that if you're really gonna need it later, you don't need it in case you can borrow it or the Lord will provide enough money for you to get what you need. Loving people and using things. The minimalists, that's their, kind of their mantra and not the other way around. Growing in thanksgiving for what you have instead of being jealous and envious of what you don't have. Responsibility with your money, having a budget, not spending wastefully, but carefully stewarding. Still enjoying the best things in life because if you come away from this, this message thinking, Andrew doesn't want us to eat good food and have good, nice things. No, I want you to have the best things. I just don't want you to have those things manage who you are. Life in moderation and simplicity and freedom from trying to constantly protect and guard your stuff. We said a lot this morning, but the idea, this rhythm of simplicity literally is the thing that has driven me the most. Now, I got so far to go and maybe you do too, but the good news is Perhaps if you get a friend to do it with you, 
it'll be a little more fun. And maybe you won't feel so rotten about what's going on. Will you stand? Love to pray for you. Prayer team, if you'd come down front. Love to pray for you this morning for whatever you need, not just for your storage solutions. So Jesus, thank you that you care about our peace of mind, that you don't want us to be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we're gonna just bring it to you, Jesus. Thank you that you bring peace to a troubled mind. Thank you that you bring simplicity to an overcomplicated life. So help us to walk more and more in your rhythms, Jesus. Help us to wear the light yoke. So I pray a blessing on this family meeting here and on the, on the stream in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for coming this morning. Um, let me just uh, also put a plug out. If you're interested in learning how to run a camera, we need some more camera people and it would be serving literally hundreds of people who can't make it. So think about that. Let us know in the office. We'll see you next week.